But we're going to move on to another series starting this week, and it'll go through this month on the book of Exodus. And, and, and the book of Exodus is really a, a book about how God is going to bring his people out of something. And, and really, that's a, that's a, it's kind of a demonstration of what we see this morning, that every time we meet together in some form or fashion, God is saying, look, I want to bring you out of what you're in. I want to bring you out of the bondage that you're in. And I love, personally, I love the Old Testament because when we look at the Old Testament, we find out that it's not just God's story, because it is, and it's not just Israel's story or some history uh, story about history, but it literally is our story. It's my story. My story is in this book. And I remember the first time I read the book of Exodus, I didn't understand the Old Testament when I was reading it, but I began to see some things in there that really revealed what God was doing in my life, that, God, that I was in bondage and that God was bringing me out of bondage, that he was bringing me into a new life. And that's what God is calling us into. So when we start to read the Bible, you know, even Paul said, he said, all of these things in the Old Testament, they're written for our instruction of Upon whom the ends of the world have come. So the Old Testament is not supposed to be a book that we really don't understand and can't see how it applies to us. It's actually given to us for an example so we can apply it to our lives. And so I want to do that going through Exodus. And like I said, Exodus literally, if you want to give a, just a technical term for it, it means exit. How do you get out of the place that you're in? How are we going to get out of the place that we're in? When we look at our church, when we look at our community, when we look at our families, sometimes we find ourselves in places where we're wondering, how in the world are we going to get out of this place? You ever been there? How in the world am I going to get out? And God has a plan, you see. And, and, and when we read the book of Exodus, what we're going to find is that God had a plan from the very beginning. He had a people that he was going to call. He called a man named Abraham and he said, through you all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And since he said that, he was referring to the fact that through Abraham's children, which would come Israel and the children of Israel, which would become the nation of Israel, and through that nation would become come Jesus Christ, and through Christ, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Because God wants to bring healing and deliverance two families. And what we see is that Egypt in the book of Exodus is a picture of the world. It's a picture of the sin and the bondage that this world around us is in, that we ourselves find ourselves in, right? And then we see Pharaoh, who in my mind is a picture of Satan. He's a picture of the powers of darkness that bind us all in so many different ways. We're bound to so many different things. But then we have Moses, and Moses to me is in one sense a picture of Jesus because he's sent in to bring the people in bondage out, right? But Moses to me is also a picture of the church because Jesus now has chosen that he paid a price for people to be d delivered, set free, healed, saved. But do you know how he's chosen to reach out to the people in this world? Through his church. That's his plan. He's not just going to fall on people out in their house this morning. He, his plan was that he would fill his church with his spirit so that they would go about doing the same work that Jesus did and bringing people that are in bondage out. And we have to recognize that call that is on our lives. It's a picture of the church. Now, if you're reading the Old Testament, it's very interesting if you read it like this, and this is how I've learned to read it, is that you begin to see that God is very intentional about taking his people who are in bondage in slavery to sin and addiction and fear and anxiety, everything that you can think of, sickness and disease. He is so intentional about going into where they're at, bringing them out of that, and his plan is to bring them into a promised land, right? His plan is to bring you out of the bondage, the sin, the sickness, the disease, the fear, the relational torment that you're in and bringing you into the fullness of God's promises, and what you find is the children of Israel, just like us, they struggled with that. Because when God said, I want to set you free, they said, well, we don't really believe you. We don't really believe it. And that's really what the Lord's saying to us this morning. Will you believe me or not? Will you accept me? The Bible says that they were not able to enter into that promised land and into that rest because of their unbelief. Because they didn't believe when God said, I want to set you free. I want to heal you. I want to deliver you. I want to give you life and life more abundantly. They said, no, we're not sure about that. We'd rather remain in Egypt, in bondage. Now, as Christians and as church, don't we sometimes struggle with that same exact thing? See, that's what the picture of this is. Let me, let me start out reading something to you here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 through 16. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt. And what had happened is 
Jacob, Israel, his name was Israel. He, he and his children came into Egypt and, and, and Joseph was second in command over Egypt. And then they grew from just about 70 people into two or three million people while they were in Egypt. But they raised up and they found themselves in bondage and in slavery. And it says, he did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. And their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other was Pua, which are nice names if you're going to have a child soon. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then he shall live. Now this is some pretty hardcore texts. Because we start to realize that the enemy, the first thing in your notes is the enemy has a plan for our generation. You know that? That the enemy has a plan for Clay County. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for your life. And there are certain things that the enemy fears, especially when it pertains to the people of God. Because here's one thing that Satan knows, just as we see in this picture, is that God has made a promise about his people. And God made a promise about Jesus Christ. And from the very beginning, what we see is that when God makes a promise, the enemy comes to resist it, right? Immediately, There's, he is not going to not put up a fight against you when God gives a promise. God gave a promise that through the children of Israel, there would be a, a Christ that would come. Jesus Christ would come and he would save the whole world. But when he gave that promise immediately, you see Satan trying to kill and destroy everything that could bring that freedom, right? He goes and he tries here in the book of Exodus. We see Pharaoh. He says, you know what? There is a ruler that's going to come out of this people. Let's pull, kill all of the male children. It's a, it's a picture of what you see whenever Jesus was going to be born because Herod himself said, hey, let's kill all the male children two years of age and under because Satan knew that the promise was going to come. But see, here's the first thing that I want to tell you is that when Satan has a plan, God has a plan that is far greater. That's the second thing. But God's plan is always greater. And oftentimes what Satan is using against you is going to be the very thing that God uses to bring your deliverance and your freedom and bring you into a place of actual more, more, more power and freedom. Do you believe that? A lot of times the things that hurt us the most, the most difficult things, the things that seem to be the greatest point of our bondage and our greatest fear is the thing that Satan brought against you, but God says, I'm going to use that to actually bring you into my purpose and into my will. For example, the scripture says that if the enemy had known, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When Satan went to crucify Jesus, in his mind, he's thinking, when I put him to death, it's over. When I put him to death, everything's going to be done. He's going to quit destroying the powers of darkness and everything is going to be fine. Little did he know that when that blood was shed and Jesus was crucified, all that happened was something far greater. It was actually his demise. It actually destroyed him. And if you will look at your situations in life properly, the things that you feel like are destroying you and coming after you and trying to steal from you, if you will learn to press into God, I promise you he has the enemy set up for your deliverance for you to have victory in that area of your life. See, that's what Satan does not understand. He has a plan, but his plan, God's already seen it. He already understands it. He already knows it. And God is far greater than what the enemy has to throw at you. But see, here's the thing. The enemy fears something. He's afraid of us. He's afraid of us. He's afraid of what we have the potential to do. And here's what I'm going to say about this church is I think this church has amazing potential in God to do things that we never dreamed of. And I would say that we're not there yet. But I see that God is at work in our midst. I see that God is raising people up. I see that God is giving people faith. But here's what the enemy fears if we read again in verse 10. Here's what he fears. He said, I'm going I'm to put them in bondage unless they multiply. 
You know what the enemy does not want to happen is for us to begin to grow. He doesn't want to see us reaching more and more people, bringing more and more people into the kingdom. He fears that we would multiply. He also fears that we would come into unity. He says, I fear that they would join our enemies. Now see, there are, let me tell you something. We are an enemy of Satan. The Bible says in Revelation 12 that he makes war with those who keep the commandments of Jesus Christ and his testimony. He, we has set out and said, they are my enemy. But let me tell you something, Satan is an inferior power. I'm glad I'm his enemy. I'd rather, much rather be his enemy than on his side, amen? But here's the truth is that he has people in bondage in our community, in our families, that his, he has them bound up. And what he's afraid of is that they would be released from that bondage and they would join his enemies. And that is what we're called to do, to get them released from that bondage so that they could join us. And then what will they do? He says, I'm afraid they'll fight against us in verse 10. Then they will go up out of the land. And what happens whenever we go up out of the land, what he's talking about is we are set free from the mentality of this world. We come into true worship. We come into true freedom. We begin to see God do the things in our life that the word of God says he would do in our life. And that's what he's afraid of. So he devises a plan. Verse 11, he says, I'll set taskmasters over them to afflict them with burdens. Anybody in here ever been afflicted with burdens? You carry burdens. You carry this fear, this worry, this anxiety. And he says in verse 13, then I want to make their lives bitter with hard bondage. You ever gotten bitter? Something didn't go right in your life, you get a little bit bitter. And see, what happens is when he puts burdens on us and bitterness in us and brings us into bondage, we're no longer capable of being free to worship God and step into the calling that he has for our lives. And oftentimes, I'm telling you, there are many churches that are packed full of people, but all of the people are in bondage and, in, and bitter and in hard bondage and bound up and not able to come into that place of true freedom that God wants to have them in. And then he says this, we'll kill all the male children because here's what he wants to do. He wants to take away our future. He wants to take away our hope and he wants to kill and destroy the Christ in you. He does not want Christ coming out of you. If God is in you, see God's plan is that God would put himself in you and that people would be introduced to the power and the love of God through you. And what happens is the church begins to believe, well, no, actually the pastors are the ones that need to minister to people and we'll just kind of come and listen on Sunday. Amen. Right? No, it's you. He's called you. He's chosen you. And Satan is trying every way that he can to kill the Christ that is in you. Now, what you have to understand about Israel is they were in impossible odds. They, had, they were in slavery to the greatest power on earth at that time, Egypt. There was no way they were getting out. They had lost their worship, 400 years of generational curse and bondage. They lost their purpose. They didn't know who they were anymore. And to me, let me tell you something, it's just a picture of the community and the world we live in today. If we look at our community, we look at Clay County, let me tell you something, there are people that say the same negative things over our community and over our people and over our churches and over our families, and there are things written up about us all the time, but we have to begin to believe that these people are in bondage and God has called us to bring them out of that bondage. You believe that this morning? And see, we have to begin to see that, that that is God's goal. And here's the thing. And I see this so much, especially in our community, and you feel this sometimes too. You know that the scripture says that in the last days, Jesus says that because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. You ever feel yourself getting that way? You ever feel yourself seeing so many people in such sinful behavior and people are robbing and stealing and, and, and in bondage and all of these things are going on in the world around us that are so bad and all of a sudden, our love begins to wax cold. We look at the situation and we say, really, it's hopeless. We might get one out, maybe get two out, but to bring all of them out, no, it's impossible. We begin to think these things, right? Let me tell you something. Left to our own selves, it is impossible. We're not going to get anybody out. But what God is showing in the book of Exodus is he intentionally is saying, yes, I know it's impossible, that's why I'm coming into the scene to begin to work in my people and call someone out and raise somebody up that will begin to step in on the situation and say, I can't get you out, but I know a God who can get you out. And he is powerful and he's able to do what he says he's able to do. Do you believe that this morning? 
Now, see, that's the issue. Again, I'm going to continue to say that because we have to begin to believe it. We have to begin that if God, to believe that if God calls us to do it, that he will give us the power to do that very thing. Second thing is, and I already said it once, but God's plan is greater. I don't care what kind of plan the enemy has for your life. God's plan for you is greater. The question is, will you come into alignment with it? Will you agree with what God's plan is for your life. Verse 17 says this. Now, he, Pharaoh's already said, I'm going to afflict them with hard bondage. I'm going to bring them into slavery. I'm going to bind them up so they can't do anything. And I'm going to have all of the male children killed and murdered. But, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Now, let me tell you something about these midwives. I love this because these midwives are considered the lowest of low. In their community at the time, in Egypt, they were considered subhuman. They were possessions. They owned these midwives like cattle or livestock. In their mind, they were no challenge. They were nothing. They were powerless. They were weak. Matter of fact, they didn't even have families. They weren't allowed to have families. They were midwives. That was their job. They were the lowest of the low, but yet the Bible says that he wants, that Satan's plan is to destroy the, the, the children of God to destroy them all so that the promises of God will not be fulfilled. And one little person, midwives, hardly nothing, things that seem so insignificant is the thing that God uses to begin to turn Satan's plan around and allow God's plan to begin to develop. And the first thing that we have to understand about these people is that the first thing is never believe you are too small or insignificant. Now, see, there's a lot of people that in, the, in this place even, you know, sometimes people will you know, call me up and be like, will you, will you pray for so-and-so and pray for so-and-so? And, and, and sometimes I feel like saying, you know what? I'll pray for so-and-so to be saved, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait and, and I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to do anything. What I'm going to do is you tell me when you're going to go minister to them and I'll pray for you that God will use you. Amen? That's a good word. Because what we have to understand is, is if every single person in our church is not operating in their ministry, and let me tell you something, you have a ministry. You have a calling. God has called you to reach people in ways that you've never known. But if you begin to pass the buck and say, no, I'm insignificant, I'm too small, I can't preach, I can't do like Walter and go down to the jail, I can't do these things, then you are robbing yourself. But not only that, you are robbing this community and people that are in bondage of coming into the freedom that God has for them. And there's a point when you got to be like these midwives and you got to say, I don't fear Pharaoh, I fear God. And I know that God's power is at work. And no matter how small and how insignificant I may seem, I'm going to align myself with God's power and I'm going to surrender to it. I love that about the midwives. You know what God says? And this is good for, see, because these are single women, right? And I love this. And what they're not saying is, well, we're single. We're irrelevant. We have no life. We have no future. Because back then, it was even more important to be married and have children than it is now. But they did not say, we're irrelevant. We're insignificant. No, they feared God. And they did not do as the, the king commanded them. That's the second thing is you don't obey the enemy's commands because you fear God. Now, let me tell you something. The fear, the enemy brings fear on us in a variety of ways. And fear binds us from doing what God has called us to do. Just this week after I've been meditating on this, I've talked about three or four different people. And we've talked about how, you know, when we're in public maybe or and the Lord is leading us to speak to somebody about Jesus or, 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 or we just know that we need to, to, to talk to somebody about something or we know that we need to deal with an issue. And, and really what binds us up is fear. What will they think? What will they think? Uh, uh, what, what if they think weird of me? What if, what, well, it ain't going to work anyway. You know, even if you do talk to them, it ain't going to work. Well, you've, you've already tried to invite somebody to church before and it didn't work then. And you hear all of these voices, but see, they did not obey the enemy's commands. They feared God. Now, to fear God just means you reverence him above everything else. I don't care what you think about me because I care what he thinks about me. Amen. And they feared God and they didn't do as the enemy commanded. And thirdly, they begin, they, they chose to fearlessly engage with compassion and graciousness. See, they recognize that I have to begin, number four, to take action and to take a risk. If you are going to do what God has called you to do, I promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will call you and ask you to take a risk. And you will be scared. 
Ain't no way around it. Every single person that God calls, he calls them to repentance, he calls them to discipleship, and he calls them to witness. And if they do those three things, you begin to step into a place where he says, no longer are you called, you're chosen. And then when you are chosen, you know what he does? He puts you in an uncomfortable position where you begin to question, God, I don't think I can do this. And we're going to get into that next week more and more. But you begin to get in that position, you say, God, I can't do this. And you know what? He's got you right where he wants you. But you have the decision then to choose whether or not you're going to fear man and you're going to let the enemy's fear override you or you're going to fear God and you're going to do what God says in spite of everything that you're feeling. And many of you right now in your life, you're faced with similar situations, various situations where there is fear that is oppressing you, pushing you back. And God is saying, no, I need you to step out into this area. I need you to come into this area. See, God's plan is greater, and we must take a risk. We must take action. Here's what we have to do, though. We have to come to a basic understanding that there are people in our families, in this community, that they're living in fear, they're living in anxiety, they're living in bondage, they're living in addiction, they're living in pain, they've been abused, they've been hurt. And here's what we have to understand is, you know what? We're not called to judge them. We're not called to examine their behavior. See, that's what we like to do. We like to look at a person and say, well, you know what? That's, they get what they deserve, honey, because, you know, they had to do something to get there in the first place. Let me tell you something. If you ever actually get the chance to talk to people about where they've come from and what they've been through, you will immediately lose all judgment. I get to talk, I get to, talk to people. I get to talk to people who are living all kinds of... Uh, they're, they're in addiction, they're in bondage, they're in all sorts of torment. And when I get down to the root of what's going on in their lives, I think to myself, I would be in the same place or worse. And we have to begin to understand that. Let me tell you something. People, and here's another lie that we believe. We believe that people don't want to hear about Jesus. That's a lie. That is one of the enemy's commands. Let me tell you something. I've talked to people that, that are, are homosexual. They are addicted, they are drug dealers, they are various different things, and on the outside, you would think this person doesn't want to hear about Jesus, I better not talk to them, but when you get down to their heart, they will break down and cry when you begin to talk to them about Jesus, because it's the one thing that they're looking for in life, and they just don't know it yet. I promise you this is the truth, and let me tell you something, I'll be honest with you, in my own life, I don't get up every morning and wake up and think to myself, how am I going to reach people for Jesus? Right? You, don't, you probably don't do that either, do you? You wake up and think, I'm going to get me some coffee. I got work. Got to get up. Got, we got kids to feed. You know, you get, you get so caught up in your own life that we begin to forget the mission that God has called us to. We begin to lose our focus on what God has called us to. And here's what we have to understand. You know, the holiest man in the world, Jesus Christ, was not uncomfortable around sinners. Isn't that odd? Because most of the Christians I know, they say, well, you know, at my workplace, they cuss. <laughs> I'm thinking, who cares? Thank God. He puts you in a place where people aren't saved yet. Well, you can reach some. Because what we want to do when we get saved is we become holy. And when we become holy, we don't want to be around unclean things. Now, now let, me, let, let, me, let, me, let me make a difference here. Because some people who are being called out need to separate themselves from some, from some darkness. When I first got called out of bondage to drugs and addiction and alcohol and all those things, you know what? For a season, I needed to separate myself. But once God filled me with his spirit, you know what he did? He sent me right back into the same place and he began to give me a love for those people. And when they cussed, you know what? I expected it to happen. It didn't scare me away and think, oh my gosh. Huh? You know what I'm saying? That, that's the kind of, that, you know what? That's how people see Christians. Jesus was the holiest man in the world, yet who he wanted to be with was with sinners. Not to sin with them, but to love them. Because here's, let me tell you something else, is that when we start to talk about evangeliz evangelization and reaching people, let me tell you something, is that people don't want to be your project. They really don't. You got to be careful about how you minister to people because if I just get up and tell you, well, you know, go out and hand this pamphlet out to somebody and, and talk to them about you and you're impersonal and you don't share, show that you care for that person and all they are is your church project, let me tell you something, they're liable to slap you in the face. 
Because ain't nobody wants to be your project. But I'll tell you what everybody wants to be is loved. They want to know that you care for them. They want to know that you have compassion for them. They want to know that you're interested in their life. And here's the other thing is that as Christians, we think we're supposed to legislate behavior. That's a good one. Because what we think we ought to do is, well, you know, I got this cousin, buddy, and he gets drunk all the time. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to his house and tell him to quit drinking. <laughs> right? And they all just said, well, shouldn't we do that as Christians? Shouldn't we do that? No. You should not tell them to quit drinking before you offer them the gospel. Because God did not come to just make people quit bad behavior. He came to save their soul. He came to give them new life. He came to bring them out of bondage and into darkness. So when I'm ministering to people, I'm not saying these are all the things you need to quit. I'm saying to them, I know a God and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. And I'm going to tell you something. At first, I didn't know if it's going to work, but I begin to seek God. I begin to walk out this journey with God. I begin to develop a relationship with Jesus and he transformed my life. And before I knew it, the old things that I used to like doing, I didn't like doing anymore. And so what we need to do is not legislate people's behavior. We need to walk with them in a relationship with Jesus. See, because we try, let me, and let me tell you something, a lot of times as Christians, people aren't on our same pattern. You know what I'm saying? Well, by now they should have got that right. I mean, they've been a Christian two months. They should have got that right by now. Let me tell you something, after I got saved, it was 11 months before I quit drinking. And I'm going to tell you something, there's a place for discernment there. Because at some point, I'm going to tell you something, you know, when, when, if, if I'm up here now and I'm drinking, we're going to kick me out. And if y'all don't kick me out, I'm going to kick myself out. Because I'm, a, I, I, I'm held to a higher standard. I've been saved. I've been called into ministry. But when we're reaching people, we have to understand that they have struggles. They've been in bondage. It's not easy to get people out of Egypt. It's difficult. It's a hard thing, and that's why sometimes we give up so quickly, so easily. We just give up. We say, well, it's too hard. I just quit. I'm going to quit inviting people to church. You know, I'm going to quit trying to believe it, maybe inviting them to a small group and all that stuff because it's just too hard. People are in too deep. Let me tell you something. Take the time, take the effort to speak to people, to invite people because God begins the work and God begins the process. Our job is not to judge them, examine their behavior. Our job is to say, I'm on this journey with Jesus, and I'd love it if you'd get involved with me and walk with me. And in time, God's going to change the both of us. And we need to invite them in. We don't need to stand over them and say, you need to come up here. We need to say, we're headed that way. Would you come with us? So that make good sense? And But we have to begin to reach out to people because God, that's God's sole agenda. It's a pretty big deal to him. Let me ask you this question, this one question. Oh, it's in your notes. Who would you be really willing to reach out to if you knew God was in complete control? Because a lot of times we think about certain people and we say, well, I just don't know. That's probably not going to work. That person's too far gone. They won't receive me. They won't listen to me. They won't hear me. But if you knew that God was in complete control and that God was at work, who would you be willing to reach out to? And let me give you this disclaimer. I have been led by God to speak to many various people about Jesus. And whenever I, I got super discouraged the first few times I did it, because what I expected was that if God led me to tell somebody about Jesus, they would immediately fall down on their face and begin to weep and say, I need the Lord, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like I thought a miracle would just happen. Like if they were crippled, they'd just get up and walk and be like, oh man, I'm saved. And something would happen, right? Because that's what you think. Let me tell you something. Pretty much every single person that I've ever talked to about Jesus at the beginning, it looked worse than it did good. But I cannot tell you, I mean, I'm talking six years later, seven years later sometimes, that these people come back to me and say, you know what, when you spoke to me that day, six, seven years ago, something happened. And I just got saved. I gave my life to the Lord. Because we plant seeds and we believe God to do the work and bring the increase. And it, what would happen if every single one of us just begin to think about other people? and begin to minister to other people and plant seeds in faith and be willing. Who would you be willing to reach out to if you knew that God was in control, that you didn't have to control it, you didn't have to make things happen, you just had to be obedient and do what God was saying to you? See, God's desiring to work through this church in ways that we'll never understand. And how many people are just one invitation away from hearing a message that will transform their lives? 
Just one invitation away from hearing a message that would transform their lives. You know, I, I want to give, I wanna give uh, Alicia, uh, she, she got saved here. Well, we, we got to baptize her in November, I think. It was our honor and privilege to do that as a church. But, but let me tell you something. She's probably the best evangelist we got in this church. I mean, she invites her. She brings people with her to small group, to church. And you know what? We've been in church 20 years, and we ain't brought nobody with us in 15. <laughs> and listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that, but what I'm saying is I'm just trying to get us encouraged to believe God that he can do things in people's lives. 80% of people in Clay County don't go to church, so get that thing out of your mind that everybody in here goes, goes to church. Everybody don't go to church. And let me tell you something, it ain't because there ain't no churches. There are plenty of them. You know, somebody else did a poll and they said that 25 to 35% of people would say, say that they would go to church if somebody would just invite them. If somebody would just say, hey, you don't come to church? And listen, for some of you all, that may be a big step. Just beginning to say, to reach out to somebody and say, would you come to church with me? I'd appreciate it very much. That'd be great. But see, we get frustrated, tired. You say, well, Clay, buddy, I've already invited people. Let me tell you something. I invite people. I invited 20 people in my small group about two weeks ago. You know how many of them showed up? None. I'm going to have Alicia lay hands on me and pray for me. <laughs> I'm going to try to walk in that anointing. But doesn't mean I'm going to quit. Doesn't mean I'm going to quit asking people to come. Doesn't mean I'm going to continue to stop reaching out to people. We have to begin to say, God, I'm not bringing my agenda to you. I'm not bringing all my stuff to you. I want you to give me your agenda. Who do you want me to reach out to? Who can I minister to this week? Who can I invite? Who can I speak to? See, thirdly, is that God draws us out to draw us in. He draws us out of our old life to draw us into his mission. A lot of people that are still in that old lifestyle, that old pattern of behavior, whatever it is. See, a lot of times we think that all God wants to do is bring them out. What I found out is that I was trying to get out. And once I got out, God didn't just say, well, now we're done with you. Then he began to draw me into something greater. He said, I brought you out of there because I want to bring you into my heart and into my life and into my mission. And immediately he began to change my path. And see, this is what we see that God does in Moses's life. Because as soon as these women, these midwives begin to save these children, there's one that is born and he's born and, and his parents hit him for three months, right? Because they were afraid. Now, let me tell you something. Sometimes when people are struggling with things, they try to hide it, right? Especially in church because you feel like you got to have everything together. No matter what you're trying to hide, at some point, it's going to come to the surface. But here's what we need to, as a church, help people to realize is that you don't need to hide it. Everybody's messed up. I'm messed up. They're messed up over there. I don't care how good they look this morning. They got issues. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to have it all together. We don't care where you've come from, where you've been, what kind of bondage you're in. We don't care if you played with a Ouija board last week. Come in this week and we'll preach Jesus to you and we want to love you and we want to let God minister to you because we believe that's what he wants to do. We know that God loves people. So why do we put such a gap and such a distance between people like that? See, we don't need to hide. We need to begin to let people know, hey, it's okay to not be okay. You can come in and get in, get in among us. That's, what, that's one of the things I love about this church is we're not trying to put on a false front and say we've got it all together. We just know one who does, and he's leading us, and he's helping us. And see, what we have to understand is that God is literally drawing everyone. The Bible says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everyone. I know you, we'll get into a theological debate with somebody over that one. But let me tell you something. I believe God is drawing every human being on some level. Jesus Christ is the light that, that lights every person that's coming into the world. But the issue is, is that there has to be a response to that drawing. Nobody can be saved without the grace of God drawing them. But there is a response to that grace, right? And what the church does is the church participates with the drawing of God to say God is calling you. And when we speak to them about Jesus, we're participating with what God's work is doing. He is drawing people. And he began to draw Moses. See, Moses' name, interestingly enough, his parents put him out in the river. And as he's going out in the river, they got all this little, you know, this crib made out for him. They push him out in the river because they're afraid, well, he's, they're going to come kill the baby. And let's just put this in God's hand. We don't know what to do. 
They put him out in the river, and all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter comes down. Now, if it had been me, I'd been like, anybody but Pharaoh's daughter, boy. I mean, how you, Lord, we, we put him out in the river. You're going to let Pharaoh's daughter come down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, sometimes you do something for God, and you step out in faith, and then it looks terrible, and you think, man, I thought God had my back. I thought he had me here. And look at all this, look at all this. And you know what? It says Pharaoh's daughter come up, took the baby out, and what happened? She had compassion on him because the Lord is able to unlock the hardest heart just when you least expect it. Just when you least expect it. And she had compassion on him, and she ended up making him her, her own son. And oddly enough, she just gave, her, gave him back to, her, to his mommy, and his mommy nursed him and raised him, but he got into the household of Pharaoh and became Pharaoh's daughter's child. And you know what? He became heir to the throne. Heir to the throne. He was going to be next in line to be Pharaoh, and God draws him out. She said, I'll call him Moses because I drew him out of the water. That was his name, drawn out. His name was drawn out. You know, the church, when Jesus called the church the church, the word that he used in the New Testament was a word that literally means called out ones. Ecclesia is the word, but it means called out ones. It means not the building that y'all meet in. That's not what he said. He said, it's the ones that I am drawing out and I am calling out. See, this is why Jesus says that many are called, but few are chosen. Because he begins to draw people out, but he doesn't choose them until they say, Lord, I sense you drawing me, I surrender. Then he says, you're my chosen one. Because there's a participation with God that when God calls, when God begins to speak to you and say, I want to heal you, will you only believe? You have to respond. When God is saying, I want to call you into ministry, you have to sense that and say, Lord, I'll follow. Then he says, you're chosen. He draws you out to draw you in. Now for Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four, 24, it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now see, you have to understand, Moses was raised up the cultural elite. He was educated in all the ways of Egypt and all the ways of the world, just like we're educated and raised up in all the ways of the world. And he has got everything figured out as far as to what it is to be an Egyptian. And for all intents and purposes, he sees his people un in bondage and in burden. Now, here's what he could have done. Now, this is what I would have done in my own reasoning, right? Well, I mean, I'm heir to the throne. I'll just wait till Pharaoh dies. When he dies, I'll be Pharaoh, and then I'll let my people go. Smile like that. You're like, this is a good idea, right? That's what, wouldn't you? I just wait. But it says that Moses would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He realized that God's ways were not in Egypt. They weren't in the world. And in order for God to do his work in him the way that he needed to do his work in him, he had to call him out from that place. Because you cannot reach those in the world with the world. And I know that's an old-fashioned holiness statement right there, but let me tell you something. You try to reach the world with the world, you know what you get? The world. There's no transformation. There's no change. Only the gospel can save people. And Moses sees his people in bondage. He's 40 years old, finally. He'd been in, he'd been in e Egypt for 40 years. He's 40 years old, training all the ways of Egypt. He's a compassionate man. He looks at his people in bondage the same way we would do, and then he launches the dumbest attempt in history to set people free. He just jumps out and kills a guy. Ain't nobody got furry. Matter of fact, they wanted him dead then. But God's at work, right? So God calls him out to the backside of the desert, into the wilderness. And here's what you all have to understand. As Christians, especially with TV preachers today, anytime we go through a wilderness season, we believe it couldn't be God. Couldn't be God, could it? Because this is uncomfortable. This isn't good. But if you read throughout the Bible, every time God brings a man into the wilderness, it's because he's getting ready to change their perspective of who God is. He's getting ready to change their life. And some of you, you are in a wilderness season. And it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. 
And what God is saying is that if you will begin to allow this wilderness season to press you into me where you'll seek me more and more, then I will change your perspective. I will change your life and you will come out of this far greater than you ever thought you would going into it. And so he calls Moses into that wilderness spot. He draws him out. And, in, and, and as soon as he draws you into the wilderness, now here's what I've noticed is that when I get close to God, I come in saying, God, I need this. I need that. Would you help me here? I, 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 right? Because you just, it's all about you when you come into God. Lord, I need some stuff. Like I need blessed. I need helped. I need all this stuff. And when, the deeper I go into God, he takes the I and throws it away. And he says, I want you to hear what I'm hearing. Because I, I hear you praying, and don't get me wrong, I want to hear what you've got to pray for, but I want you to start to hear what I'm hearing because I hear your voice, and I know you hear your own voice because you talk a lot, to me anyway. But I want you to hear what I'm hearing, and here's what, here's what God says, verse, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. When God begins to draw you near, he begins to share his heart with you. And let me tell you something, his heart is for people that are groaning and are in bondage and are crying out for what's going on in their life. They're crying like that baby back there. Anytime you hear one, you just got to throw it into the sermon, right? That way it gets everybody's attention back. I learned that somewhere. But there's groaning, right? You know, the Bible says that all of creation is groaning in earnest expectation for the sons of God to be manifested. What that means is literally right down the road down here in one of these hollers on the inside of somebody, they are groaning and they're crying out. They don't even know what they're groaning and crying out for. They just know that they weren't called to live like this. And deep on the inside of them, there's a groaning. And what are they groaning for? The Bible says they're groaning for the children of God and the sons of God to raise up and become what God called them to be. I mean, that gets me excited when I think about it. Because you look at people in their faces and in their eyes and they won't tell you that they need Jesus, but deep down there's a groaning that God hears and he says, you know what they want? They want you to become a child of God. They want you to minister the love of God to them. And he says, I hear that groaning and I, and I acknowledge them and I want you to acknowledge them with me. And he remembers his covenant because let me tell you something. You know, Jewish history says that Moses' dad Amram is his name. It's another good one if you're gonna have a son. But Moses' dad, he is in this place before he has Moses. And Jewish history says that he cried out day and night to God because he, didn't, he was afraid that God's promises weren't going to come to pass. And God appeared to him and showed him that he was going to have a son and that son would be raised up to deliver Israel. The importance of prayer and truly crying out to God because when we begin to cry out to God, you know what he does? He remembers his covenant. His covenant that was made by the blood of Jesus that says anybody that's in sin, I've come to set them free. I've come to forgive them. I've come to give them a new heart and a new mind. I've come to fill them with my spirit. I've come to bring them out of death and into life, out of darkness and into light because of what Jesus has done. He remembers that covenant. You say, well, how does God forget anything? The Bible says in Isaiah, put me in remembrance, not because God forgets, but because we do. And when we begin to put God in remembrance, all of a sudden it activates something in God. And here's what I want to finish with lastly. You guys can begin to come to music. Fourthly is we, turn, we must turn aside to hear God's voice. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, it says that Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Here's what you got to understand about Moses. He lived 40 years in Egypt. He was driven out of Egypt. He lived another 40 years in the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness in this dry season thinking, well, my people are just going to remain in bondage forever. It says the priest, he was with his Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside 
and see this great sight why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, that fourth point, we must turn aside to hear God's voice. Now, I want you to understand, Moses is in that wilderness place. God's drawing him out. He's drawing him in. And all of a sudden, in this place of wilderness, he sees a burning bush. And the bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. It's a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, I believe. Because the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. The Bible says that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It says that when on the day of Pentecost, when the church was afraid, they were hiding because they were afraid they'd killed Jesus. They were afraid they were going to kill them. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and there appeared flames of fire over their head and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we believe in tongues, but I, I, wanna, I wanna show you something, that really, whenever they spoke in tongues for the first time, they were speaking in known languages in places far out from where they lived, and people understood them. What God was trying to say most clearly in that is that, you know what, I've got something to say to the entire world, and I'm gonna use you to say it. I want you to declare the wonderful works of God to a people that are lost, that don't know me, that are far away from you. And up until this point, you've not known how to speak to them. You've not known how to reach them. You've not had the boldness, you've been afraid. They were afraid they were hiding. And all of a sudden, the boldness of God, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to move them. And here's what you need to understand about the power of the Holy Spirit, because a lot of times we get it mixed up. We think that the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us do crazy things. But let me tell you something about, the Holy Spirit comes as a fire and He purifies our hearts. He takes away the hatred, the, the complacency, all these different things in our heart, and He begins to pour love in. He changes us. He sets us free. But then, let me tell you what He does that is very odd. The Bible says that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. What that means is you've been afraid to speak to people about Jesus until now. And the Holy Spirit comes to give you the power to speak to people about Jesus. That's the truth. And so often that's overlooked because we think the Holy Spirit's the dude who comes in and makes everybody run half wild. And you know what? We respond to the Holy Spirit in different ways. We all do. And I thank God when people praise God, I'm all for that. But the primary reason that you see, see in, in, in Southeastern Kentucky, the idea is that if the Holy Ghost is involved, we have wild church services. And that's all good. I'm all for good church services. But let me tell you something. If people are not loving one another, and people are not reaching out to their community, they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because those are the two primary things that the Holy Spirit will do in a person's life. There's other things that come, yes. There's healing, there's gifts of the Spirit, there's tongues, there's prophecy, all of these things the Holy Spirit brings. But if we are not loving people and we're not talking to people about Jesus and reaching out to our community, we still need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And let me tell you something, there's sometimes in my life that I begin to sense that I don't have a burden for anybody. I'm not thinking about anybody, I'm self-focused. And see what Moses did and he said, I will turn aside to see why this bush is burning. And the Bible said, when he turned aside, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, he said to him, Moses, Moses. Now in our lives, so many of us are so busy that when God nudges at us or pulls at us, we don't turn aside. We don't turn aside to pray. We don't turn aside to worship. We don't turn aside to study the Bible. We don't turn aside to hear from God. We just simply continue going. And God is saying, the reason you're not experiencing that fire in the way that you want to experience it and experiencing the power of my spirit moving in you is because I'm asking you to turn aside. And practically, what does that mean? That means that in my own life, I have to begin to spend time in prayer with God. I have to begin to allow him to share his heart with me. I have to bring people to him to pray about. And I have to say, Lord, will you begin to share your heart with me? I need to turn aside. So in your own life, I want to ask you four questions and I'm done. First one is, how are you going to turn aside and develop your relationship with God to hear from Him? 
How are you going to practically begin to turn aside? Some people, do, they start a devotion. They get up in the morning earlier than they usually do to spend some time with God, to turn aside so that they can hear God's voice, so that they can allow the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to operate in their life. How are you going to do that? This is in your notes. Secondly, who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to pray for? And if you're going to pray for them, thirdly, who will you reach out to? Because, you know, a lot of people will pray for people, but they won't reach out to them. Take it one step further. Don't only pray for them, but reach out to them. And fourthly, who are you going to invite? Who are you going to invite to your small group? Some of you, you need to join a small group. Who are you going to invite? Because look, we don't believe small group saves anybody. We don't believe church saves anybody. We believe Jesus saves people, but we believe those are two good environments to bring them into in order for Jesus to do his work. And some people are just one invite away from hearing what they need to hear from God so that they can know, man, God loves me and I sense that. And those are four things. You know, Moses, Moses says, he says, God, when I go, who am I going to tell them sent me? And he said, tell them I am that I am has sent you. See, because if you're afraid, God is your boldness. If you're worried or anxious, God is your peace. If somebody needs healing, God is healer. I am what you need in this situation. And you've got to begin to believe him for that. He was saying, Moses, whatever you need, I am that. And what my people need, I am that. I am that I am. And I've come, I've heard their groaning, I've heard their bondage, and I've come to deliver them and set them free. And that's the calling that God has on our life as a church. You believe that this morning? Stand to your feet with me this morning. I'm going to let them begin to sing and play, but here's what I want to do. I want everybody that will. I know we, this has been a, a, a longer church service than usual. This is where God will put us to the test, right? <laughs> See if we're willing to hang out just a minute longer. It's difficult, I know. But here's what I want to do. I want, if you were willing to respond to this, to respond to this. Matter of fact, why don't you, why don't you just bow your heads right now just for a moment. And right now, if you sense that God is drawing you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you sense that God is drawing you, and you know you want to be saved, you just want to begin to walk this out with Jesus, and you know that God is drawing you, and you're saying, I think it's time. I think I want to start this walk with Jesus. Raise your hand right now. Just let me know. Everybody's got their head down. Just raise your hand right now and let me know. I got you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, God's at work in people's lives. And for the rest of you right now, as we, as we just sit here and pray for a minute, if you need to be filled with the Spirit of God, if you need boldness, if you feel God calling you into something, I want you to come around this altar. But whatever you need, let's just spend a moment to pray to respond to what God is calling us to and let Him begin to put His fire in our hearts. Donald, Brian, myself, will be up here. And we're willing to pray for you. But anybody who will, we just ask you to come this morning. And, and for those of you that just raised your hand, if you will, I'm going to stand right over here. And here in a minute, if you would come to me and just let me pray with you. That's all I ask. I just want to pray with you this morning for those of you that raised your hand. But